Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, get 30, bet get 20, 20, 20, bet get 20, 20, bet get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you Miss Eiffel? Yes. Am I interrupted? Yes. I'm the assistant your publisher's hired. The publishers think I have writer's block. Do you have writer's block? I don't know how to kill Harold Crick. This is a story about a man named Harold Crick. Harold lived a life of solitude. He would walk home alone. He would eat alone. When others' minds would fantasize about their upcoming day... Hello? Harold just counted brush strokes. All right, who just said Harold just counted brush strokes? Welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and see how they hold up today in the modern eye. I'm Robert Larone. With me, as always, is Blaine Waters. He said his name with a certain fervor to try to get across the audience. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just let's narrate this entire podcast. Oh, this has gotten pretentious. <laughs> you know, if your podcast can't stand without narration, then it's really not working, is it? He said disdainfully. <laughs> Blaine was doing his narration thing again. It always drove Robert insane. <laughs> Once this crisis was over and he could leave his house, he would come and strangle all the life from Blaine's neck. Oh, God, just from my neck. Just from your <laughs> neck. You can have the rest of the life in your body. Uh, this is Rewatchability. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I, I don't remember how we start this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've already kind of introduced it. We are going to talk about Stranger Than Fiction. This is the follow-up to last week's podcast where we kind of talked about where we first saw it. And Sorry, is this the narrator or is this the <laughs> character of Blaine speaking? How, how dare you? <laughs> In my book, there's no difference. <laughs> well, before we get into Stranger Than Fiction, we should first of all thank our Patreons. Yes, those are the people who give us one, three, five dollars a month who help keep the podcast going. I love how you said, yes, those are the people, because <laughs> you were remembering what they what they did for us <laughs> in that moment. I, it was more like I was trying to give it like a certain aplomb, like an author would. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the Patreons, in return, would get perks. <laughs> Podcasts early, they would be delighted to find. <laughs> I love how this narrator is so divorced from any technology or understanding <laughs> of the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the narrator, Rob, not you. Not you. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, she she got a couple of drafts to do this. I'm uh, this is all 
what do you call that? Uh, um, auto dictation? <laughs> um, but we're, we're here to talk about Stranger Than Fiction, the 2006 movie by Mark Forrester, uh, written by Zach Helm. And last week we talked about our first time seeing the movie and what we remembered about it. It was good times. And, <laughs> I mean, if you didn't experience that, I don't think you truly live. But this week we are we are getting into the kind of rundown of the movie and some behind the scenes things that you might not know about this movie, and then we'll uh, we'll see if it's uh, we'll put it to the ultimate test. Yeah, ultimate test, which is is it rewatchable? A stress test. Oh uh, yeah. So so Rob, you want to take the viewers to this movie that maybe they maybe they didn't take the week to, to watch this movie Jeez, and they did other important week. things like like raise their kids. Or I work from home. You know. uh, so, <laughs> and that's what I've been doing, which is just jerk at home. <laughs> oh, God. I'm being a jerk at home. I really need oh, to okay. Oh, okay. better that's to right. people around me. Yeah. But, uh, this is an explicit podcast. <laughs> okay, Stranger <laughs> Than Fiction. So it is a movie about this man played by Will Ferrell. His name is Harold Crick. And he is a very precise man who lives a very precise life. He lives his uh, life counting the number of times he brushes his teeth and counting the steps on the way to the bus stop. And uh, we know all this because the narrator is telling us. (laughs) Right. And it's all, you know, you think it would be boring, but they have an upbeat song over it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, this whole movie has music by uh, Spoon. Yeah. Which is great, because I fucking like Spoon. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and actually, Britt Daniel of Spoon collaborated with the composer, whose last name is Reitzel. No first name. uh, (laughs) Brian Reitzel. (laughs) Madonna. Madonna. (laughs) Collaborated with Brian Reitzel on uh, on the score. So that's, you know, so that's why it's all sort of woven through it but it does have like a good like yeah it kind of like when at a certain point Will Ferrell says I wanted a more musical life I was like man you got it you're you're in this kind of like upbeat happy go lucky musical already yeah I wish my life was scored by Spoon <laughs> yeah yeah well and Britt Daniel uh you mentioned Veronica Mars last week uh being in um uh Edward. Edward. yeah but uh Daniel was, was in Veronica Mars. What? Yeah, yeah. Played a song. Oh, that's awesome. That show was yeah. so hip. Yeah, it was so hip. It was on fire. But his life is pretty boring. I mean, it's very precise. He is an IRS auditor, which is not a very exciting career, probably. And he lives a very lonely life. He's been doing the same routine for 12 years, and he doesn't talk much, the narrator tells us. So it seems sort of sad. Except one day when he's brushing his teeth, he stops because he hears the narrator talking about brushing his teeth. And this confuses him. <laughs> he's like, hello? I feel like, I feel like one of our perks on Patreon now should be that you narrate someone's life. Because right <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels like narration right now, and I'm digging it. <laughs> John right. McClane 64 woke up in a puddle of sweat. <laughs> because <laughs> rob is going to be yelling in his ear all day <laughs> <laughs> but he hears the narrator which is disconcerting i don't know uh, sometimes on this newfangled thing we're using i can hear my own voice and uh it is very disconcerting <laughs> it's so hard to talk 
when yeah. you hear yourself or like, you know, your own even thoughts in your brain. You I mean, any sort of disembodied voice is creepy because it doesn't have a body. <laughs> But I particularly, I don't like anything that like speaks to me automatically. Like, like if you go into the beer store here in Ontario, it'll say, there's a voice that says, welcome to the beer store. And I feel weird about not saying thank you. <laughs> and I was just raised that way. It's polite, you know? Meanwhile, uh, we also meet the aforementioned narrator played by the great Dame Emma Thompson. And when we meet her, she's imagining herself jumping off a building. She's actually just standing on her desk where she's just trying to get a feel for what it feels like. She's obsessed with murder and killing people in her books is kind of what we're led to believe in this movie. And she kind of imagines all the ways throughout the movie that like she could kill her characters and what that would feel like in order to write about it. Yeah, and she puts herself into the into the character's place. It's not like she's imagining Will Ferrell, you know, jumping off the thing. She's imagining herself. Like he, yeah. Important distinction. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, we're also led to believe in the movie that is kind of her own personal death wish. Is yeah. That, uh, because she's a smoker, she is obsessed with death in and of herself. So she, I think she kind of wants to die in a little way. Um, yeah. Probably. She won't, she won't accept help from her assistant, Queen Latifah. Yes, that's right. Her publisher sends her an assistant, and they do not cheap out because they send Queen Latifah, who is one of the few people who outranks Dame Emma Thompson in court. <laughs> but I, yeah, she could lose her head. She really she could. could lose her head. But actually, yeah. I mean, they should have sent her, yeah, a therapist would be probably the... Uh, the better thing to do because yeah, you might get one book out of Emma Thompson, but uh, the way she's going, you're probably not going to get much more. <laughs> yeah. And she seems to have this kind of disdain for any sort of help, like doctors even um, or therapists because she is writing in such a way about Crick's life where he kind of, you know, sees a therapist uh, in, at work about maybe this voice and about things that are happening to him. And she hates this therapist. She hates kind of the establishment or people that try to help people. She's pretty cantankerous in a lot of ways. Yeah, she's great. I love her. <laughs> Someone after Rob's own heart. That's great. <laughs> I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's, yeah, morbid, and uh, she's, you know, also doesn't accept Queen Latifah's help, but uh, Queen Latifah isn't taking no for an answer. So she ends up being dragged out to all these different scenarios where the woman, her name is Karen Eiffel, where she is sort of imagining or imagine, experiencing death, you know, or trying to figure out how to kill this character. Because apparently she's written the whole book, but hasn't uh, figured out the crux of what it's about. <laughs> Which is, the you know, I mean, it's probably one of the first yeah. things. Do an outline. Do an outline. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, sometimes like in writing, you like write a whole book and then realize what it's about at the end. And you're like, oh, shit. And you need to do a lot of rewriting. You know, I think that well, happens let's do to that. people sometimes. <laughs> she seems like she had an idea like, oh, I'm going to write this book called The Death of Harold Crick. And then she started writing, wrote like 800 pages, got to the 899th page, because it's exactly 900 pages, and was like, oh shit, how do I kill this guy? But, but fucking how boring is this book? 
Because it's just about this insurance guy that, like, kind of likes this woman at the bakery and his watch. Uh, it just doesn't feel like there's any story in it beyond the story of a narrator narrating his life. Mm-hmm. Also, my is question is... We're watching. Whoa. My question is, <laughs> is in her book... Are there passages about him hearing the narrator, or is the book oblivious to all this metafictional stuff happening as well? Is the book a metafictional piece? Right. I mean, there is a point in this movie where they do meet up, and she is typing, like, he ran to a phone, and he plugged in the number, and he phoned, and then her phone rings. And I'm like, well didn't you have to describe who he's phoning? <laughs> like, don't you have to, don't you ha- didn't you have to know that he researched your number in the database? Anyway, we'll get there. But like, it just, sometimes this movie feels like it, it, it is definitely taking some liberties with the idea, the premise to begin mm-hmm. with um, yeah. that, uh, that don't really feel like it, it doesn't really feel like it ties to, Together and makes it a cohesive thing. It feels like it, it gets to like choose and pick which which way it has it from time to time. For sure. Now, Harold, he his life also gets shaken up when he is assigned to audit the owner of a bakery who is played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, and she is defiantly non-compliant in paying her taxes. She's only paid seventy eight percent, and she's refused to pay the remaining twenty two percent. Due to ethical concerns. Yeah, it's, it's an act of civil disobedience, you know? Yeah. Speaking it to the man, man. Yeah, and she she's great in this, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I mean, she uh, she's amazing. I mean, that I first... That, <laughs> you just rewatched Secretary, didn't you? Come on, Rob. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I've never seen... Have I seen Secretary? I don't, I've never seen it either. But yeah, she's so funny in that first scene. Like mm-hmm. when she's allowed to go 110. percent She's oh, like, yeah. "Get out of here, tax man!" <laughs> tax man. <laughs> she's so funny. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Let's play a clip of that. Listen, I'm a big supporter of fixing potholes and erecting swing sets and and building shelters. I am more than happy to pay those taxes. I'm just not such a big fan of the percentage that the government uses for national defense, corporate bailouts, and campaign discretionary funds. So I didn't pay those taxes. I think, actually, I sent a letter to that effect with my return. Would be the letter that begins, Dear Imperialist Swine? But, yeah, he's thrown off, so he has to sort of come back later to finish uh, off. But he's struck by her. Like, this is the meet-cute of the movie. She doesn't like him. He is flustered by her. And mm. uh, he likes it. Yeah, yeah. And he, meanwhile, has this whole problem of figuring out what this narrator is. Because we hear very quickly after he kind of meets Maggie Gyllenhaal, is that little did he know Harold Crick was going to die. And so right. he he hears a dramatic irony and therefore collapses the fact that it is dramatic irony because now he knows he's going to die. <laughs> and, um, and he needs to figure it out. 
So he goes to a another therapist, a better therapist than his work therapist was. Yeah, that's right. And that's Linda Hunt. And she tells him that he is schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um, uh, when he won't take that for an answer, she sends him to a literary theorist who's played by Dustin Hoffman. I think in like the second of his great, like, I'm going to help somebody with their existential crisis roles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's so good. That whole blanket speech. In from, Huckabees? Yeah, from My Heart Huckabees. Oh, so great. I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's, I forgot he was in this movie completely. I did not, when he came up on screen, I was like, wow. Oh, really? He's in this movie? Because his part doesn't feel like it needs the Dustin Hoffman, <laughs> you know, like that's a, he's a, he's a weighty actor, you know, he, he has a lot to do and perform and, and in right. this movie he doesn't, he's just kind of like, ah, I'm a little quirky and I do, but he does it so well. I think he's one of the highlights of this movie for me. For sure. I mean, he, I think he just does like a, a Dustin Hoffman performance, but it does, you know, get, he has a lot of charm that he, uh, he brings to it. And he, he at first, he's not really interested in helping Harold. He, he sort of sends him off, but uh, he becomes interested once Harold tells him about the uh, voice and about the phrase, little did he know, which mm. happens to be Dustin Hoffman's academic interest. He says he's written papers about this, which is like so spot on how an academic is, like completely disinterested in something that's fucking fascinating until some little minute detail comes in they're like oh let's do a fucking conference (laughs) Uh, you have a good time in university rob (laughs) it was okay (laughs) oh that's so funny yeah i mean it's it's interesting to put like a a lit teacher into this uh movie as the mr miyagi to the main character uh, mm-hmm. I like that a lot, and I love their kind of banter back and forth and talk about the stories and the whole exchange of like, "Aren't you glad you're not a golem?" You know, like all that stuff was, <laughs> was really great. I well, love that. Possible one time that you were made of stone, wood, lye, buried corpse parts, or birth made holy by rabbinic lovers. No, look, look. Uh, I'm sorry, but what do these questions have to do with anything? Nothing. The only way to find out what story you're in is to determine what stories you're not in. Odd as it may seem, I've just ruled out half of Greek literature, seven fairy tales, ten Chinese fables, and determined conclusively that you are not King Hamlet, Scout Finch, Miss Marple, Frankenstein's monster, or a golem. But I also thought that, like, there should be more. Like, there should be, like, a little bit more of, like, let's figure it Let's figure out if you're in a tragedy or comedy. Okay, that's fine. It's like really broad stuff. But like figuring out different things about the about the authorial intent, uh, yeah, you know, all, all that stuff would have been really, really interesting and and taking because he's a lit professor. He doesn't just teach right. like comedy and tragedy at this point. So yeah, yeah, okay, maybe. But uh, <laughs> he's me <near> retirement. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like you might. You might talk about different ways of like deconstructing literature, or like you know, uh, there's different ways to read a book. So how are we going to read your book? Is mm-hmm. this like biographical sure. or deconstructionist or like feminist or uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of ways. So like it, it would have been interesting to kind of get into that uh, side of things. But I understand that they don't they don't have much time. And, uh, yeah, 
And that might I mean, have seemed a little boring, to be honest. So The matrix that he gives him to sort of test the sort of comedy versus tragedy is at least something that's like, you know, memorable for people and that people easily understand. But of course, the flaw in this, which, you know, he should know as a literary theorist, is that comedy and tragedy is dependent on perspective, not upon <laughs> What happens? I mean, if bad things happen to Will Ferrell over and over again, that's a comedy. It's funny. Yeah, well, especially with Will Ferrell. Like, and yeah. that's, the, that's the thing with putting a comedian into this role is that we don't question whether it's a comedy ever. It's a comedy. We don't. Well, the Johnny music helps, too. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. It's it. It's not written like it's an out and out comedy, but it's sure directed. And and acted like it is, and I think mm-hmm. that there there might be there there's some jokes in the script itself, but there's also some really dark stuff that I think gets a little missed because they went more for comedy than for tragedy. Well, I think this movie sort of embodies something that the '90s and the 2000s really embraced was the idea of quirkiness. So yeah, yeah it's like you know has emotion and drama, but is also jokes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah. So Harold goes back and finishes the audit with Maggie Gyllenhaal and she gives him a rough time, gives all of the uh, receipts and stuff in a giant box and basically has him working like a dog all day to help her finish her taxes. And at the end of the day, as he's leaving, she offers him a cookie fresh out of the oven. And he's not and, a lot of big gifts, but, you know, he really wants to at least have a cookie. And they kind of bond. And that's really they, nice. They do bond. Yeah. He, he initially says that he doesn't like cookies because his mom only bought him store-bought cookies. What a cruel asshole of a mom. Yeah. But no. then, yeah, I mean, she forces Horrible. him basically to eat milk and cookies, which that was one of the sexiest things I've ever seen on screen, I think. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just, you know, it's you, very, like, want... nurturing and, like... <laughs> I just, I got kind of creeped out because she just watched him eat it. And <laughs> and have you ever had someone just watch you eat? It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like, more. Yeah, stuff yourself. Like, yeah. yeah. And she also tells her origin story. This is where she talks about how she came to be a baker because she was originally went to Harvard for law and then she uh, ended up baking for her study partners. And I'm then, sure this is, this is where like actual bakers in real life, like I worked my whole life <laughs> to like make a good muffin. And this mm-hmm. woman like went to Harvard law school first. Like, God damn it. Like, I hate you movie. Like I worked hard for this and she just fell at, ass backwards into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think people probably come to it in a lot of different ways, but I thought it was sort of interesting because mm-hmm. like it's a story where like, oh, yeah, like okay, here's this woman who is going to be a lawyer and she sort of gets like relegated to baking snacks mm-hmm. and then that becomes her career. Yeah, yeah. Like you can read it I mean a few different ways. Like are are they saying like, you know, like are they saying that there is an element to of sexism to that story or like to her experience? I mean, mm. interesting. I like, I'm not saying that it intends to say like, well, a lawyer is a pretty big job for a woman. Wouldn't you rather be a baker? 
but it does seem to have like a little bit of that in it, right? Like, right. Yeah. Here I she mean, is. You yeah, know, this I, like revolutionary leftist progressive talking about going to communist meetings and fuck the man. And she has the clash playing on her uh, stereo. But yeah. It's kind of like the opposite of the end of SLC Punk, where like he's like, I, I, I didn't sell out. I bought in. I'm going to change the system from within because I'm a lawyer now. They're like, yeah. she, she's like, fuck the system. Like, all this, all this is bullshit. I'm going to become a baker and mm-hmm. going to make recipes in the anarchist cookbook, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I don't think it's, it's trying to say that that's too heavy a burden for a woman. At least I, I hope not. It was 2005. <laughs> I, really I mean, hope I hope not too, but it it does seem to like in concert with the whole like Will Ferrell's mom wasn't nurturing him enough. And so now when this woman nurtures him, you know, he falls in love with her. It's sort of like it creeps me out just a little bit. It's, but and, it's, it's, it's interesting like, because they, they do balance it out, though, with having the author of the book be the dame herself. You know, I, right? I, I think that helps balance out what is usually relegated in a rom-com to being like you know the manic pixie dream girl or whatever well i was just gonna bring that, that up yeah i was just gonna bring that up like i would say i mean as much as i love this movie and it, it does charm me and i really do love maggie gyllenhaal i she definitely is like playing that part like here is this woman and oh she has these ideals which are so lofty and naive and she lives this life which is perfect and cute and she doesn't follow the rules which i wish i could not follow the rules but you know maybe she can change me just a little bit dude it's it's total like white suburban dude bait you know it's just like i wish i could take off my tie and meet this like young hipster baker from the city and (laughs) she totally changed my world by having (laughs) sex with me like it's just totally on the marks (laughs) yeah exactly and the clash she made me listen to Spoon, and uh, yeah. and now I listen to it every day just to get me through brushing my teeth. Like I just, yeah, I feel like it's it's a little bit targeting one particular audience. But and uh, also, while we're talking about like the the white person problem, we should also mention that like there's a little bit of Queen Latifah's character being in the super duper magical Negro category. Once again, like a black person is brought to help a white person figure out their shit. Right. She had like a set of golfing clubs with her at the time. <laughs> She's just like yeah, right. <laughs> walking into the office. <laughs> at the end of the movie, she just vanishes, disappears. Yeah. And like, I mean, oh, like, because her character isn't like a huge focus, it doesn't, it's not as glaring as in other films, but I think it's definitely there. There's a, there's a little bit of that. It does fall into certain categories that we're I think more aware of now. But this is 15 years ago. I don't know whether that forgives it, but it definitely places it within a context that uh, these things routinely happened in. So um, yeah. Okay. I, so we have a few more things to get through. So the big thing is that like eventually he does talk to the author. He he tracks her down and then calls her just as she's about to finish writing his story and basically like saves his own life at the last minute. Two eyes. Oh, fingers. Your shoes. Hello. I'm Harold Crick. I know. How did you find me? 
we audited you a little more than 10 years ago and, and your number was in the file. I'm sorry, but this, this is incredibly strange. Uh, you're telling me. And she sort of lets him go away with the ending. And so he initially gives it to Dustin Hoffman to read. And Dustin Hoffman tells him, sorry, this is the way that it's got to be. It's a brilliant book. It's very poignant. There's no other way to yeah. do it, which is not really what he wants to hear. No. So then he kind of, you know, reads the book himself to be yeah. like, hey, does it need to end this way? Maybe I can be a writer overnight. Maybe I can rewrite this <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. He reads the whole thing on the bus and uh, then he tells her that, yeah, I mean, she has to end it that way. That's the only way that it can end. And he's willing to sort of accept that he is going to die. And so he goes about his day and the big moment happens where we've seen all of these moments sort of like coming up to this point, like the, the woman starting her job as a bus driver, the kid on the bicycle, the apple, and then all these events happen. And this kid rides out in front of a bus and uh, Will Ferrell sort of saves his life, but he gets hit by the bus and presumably dies. Mm -hmm. However, at the last minute, it turns out that she couldn't do it. She couldn't kill him. And so she ended up making it so that he was saved by a shard of his watch, which embedded in an artery. And Total Iron Man shit. Total Iron Man shit. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, his watch was a Timex Iron Man, so... Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Nice. Also, yeah. you know, the Dustin Hoffman asked me, like, this isn't a great ending to the book. You know, the other ending was better. Like, why would you change it? And she says that... The man, like Will Ferrell, was willingly going to sacrifice his life for the end of her book. And isn't that a character that you want to keep around? I was like, no, that sounds psychotic. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like if someone was like, I want to I want to kill myself so that you can finish your book. You know, I'm sure George R.R. R. Martin has gotten that. <laughs> you know, he's like, I, I know I don't want that. I just want to entertain people like, oh, don't kill yourself. Let me kill myself. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. OK, but so that's, that's kind of the movie. Fiction. Yeah. We'll be back after the break with some uh, behind the scenes and trivia. Nice. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about Stranger Than Fiction. Blaine, have I got some trivia for Vu? <laughs> Hit me with it. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. So this one's about books. I hope that you can read. Um, what <laughs> literary work does the phrase Stranger Than Fiction come from? Oh, God, when was the first book made? I don't think they used fiction back in Shakespeare's day. You <laughs> say it's not that. And I don't know. Let's let's say it's it's from a Charles Dickens book. No, that's incorrect. It is Damn from it. Lord Byron's Don Juan, and the quote oh. is: 
Tis strange, but true, for truth is always strange, stranger than fiction, if it could be told. How much would novels gain by the exchange? All right. All right, Byron. Yeah, yeah. of course, Byron was at that famous thing where they uh, invented Frankenstein. Oh, right. Like the writer's circle? Yeah, and also the uh, the vampire, the first vampire story was also about him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So we okay, got so a that, whole uh, a whole awful universal universe. That's right. It's basically all from that one like uh, writing session. That's horrible. <laughs> we had to get a okay. Tom Cruise movie out of it. Okay, go on. Trivia the two. Mm-hmm. This same year, two thousand and six, Queen Latifah also had a starring role in a movie in which her character is told that she is going to die and has to learn to live her best life. What is the name of that film? <laughs> taxi <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i i i can like see the poster i can't remember the name but what what is it Hit me with it it's <laughs> I, I can see the poster too it has ll cool j and he's like holding her right <laughs> it's last holiday oh god yeah okay it's a remake of uh an alec guinness film from the 50s or 60s no i want guinness yeah Okay, go on. What's the third one? Okay, so the third question. This film features two obvious Academy Award winners, Dustin Hoffman and Dame Emma Thompson. Who is the third actor in this film who is an Academy Award winner? I'm going to say Queen Latifah. Whoa, that is wrong. She was nominated for Chicago, uh, but she didn't win. Maggie Gyllenhaal was also nominated for Crazy Heart, but it was actually Linda Hunt who plays the psychologist who tells him that he's schizophrenic. She won a Best Supporting Actress. Can I guess the movie? What? Was it Incredibles? No. Because she was animated. (laughs) She looks so much like that woman. Go on. What was it? Well, (laughs) okay, so get this. It was for this movie called The Year of Living Dangerously, which is starring Mel Gibson and was directed by Peter Weir, who directed The Truman Show. But she is playing Billy Kwan, who is a male Chinese-Australian dwarf. Yeah, I saw that movie like three weeks ago. What, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about about the Indonesian... uh, Anyway, it's, 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 it's an insane movie. And well, did you realize that that was that woman? God, no. She does such a good fucking job. Well, she's an amazing performer, but problematic. I mean, yes. It just just the fact that it stars Bell Gibson means it's problematic. Yeah. But, I uh, like the whole, yeah. yeah. I mean, just like, it's 1982 when this film was made. I mean, no excuses for Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, but, I was just uh, about to say, like, she sings Moon River so well, though. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, it's so crazy. Good for her. Uh, that's that's an insane role to take on, first of all. But she she does a really great job. It's so racist, but she does a really great job. There's a few other things I should mention about this movie. It was a $30 million budget, and it did make about $53 million worldwide. So it wasn't a huge success, but not a huge failure either. I did find this great interview clip on Movie Phone, which was Will Ferrell interviewing Dustin Hoffman and Dustin Hoffman interviewing Will Ferrell. And uh, (laughs) I think I should just play a clip of this. Is it possible that you could have fallen in love with, uh, if you hadn't met your wife, with Maggie Gyllenhaal under just normal circumstances? Because you guys seem so connected. I had not, yes. 
she's a lovely woman. Yes. And we really kind of connected. You didn't have to act that bad stuff. No. I could tell that you felt very comfy and cozy. Va-va-voom. Va-va-voom, indeed. Right. She just had a baby. Could you have married Emma Thompson? No. <laughs> oh, that's great. That yeah, is so like awkward. Dustin Hoffman, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's been reported that he's a, he's a creepster. But uh, what, what if your wife gave you a hall pass? Would you have uh, stuck <laughs> Maggie Jones uh, on? Would you have know, done it? Yeah. Why? I should, Why not? I, think Why? I have to bring this up, but like you know, you can't talk about her performance or her abilities as an actress. She's an amazing actor. Wouldn't you want to just like uh, butter her bread, though? Uh, wouldn't you want to just see her about the job? <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. This, yeah, that's that's so horrible. <laughs> that's not great at all. Yeah, um, there, there, I want to play another clip too. This one's a little bit more germane to the discussion. If someone gave you a completed book of the rest of your life. Would you open it? Are there illustrations? Uh, you want to know what tomorrow brings? No. You don't? I don't think so. No? But, you know, there are people who would, would, would like afford to it. They go and have these uh, scans, these MRIs and scans. Yeah. They want to know. It, or, you know or, or they're now right. being able to tell you uh, certain genetic places that, what, what you're going to get. You want to know what you're going to get? If you, had a, if you were relatively assured that you could live, would you have your head frozen? Wait, would you would you have your head cryogenically frozen, Rob? I already have. <laughs> You're just like in the freezer right now. That's not how it works, man. That's that was the best acoustics for recording. Just um, old peas frozen to your hair. <laughs> oh, the last thing is that this movie is a gold mine for college essay writing services. Like, if you need to write an essay for your film or English class, there are like a billion that have been written on this by somebody else that you can purchase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing about it is that it, that's the thing about this movie is that it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too. Like when he meets Emma Thompson at the end, she's like, how did you get my number? And, you know, what did you think of this? You know what he thinks of that. You know how he got your because you wrote his life. And yeah. if, and if like he could cho like choose to do something different, he would have. And uh, that's the thing that like I don't get in, in the in the movie writing business. The character goes for their goal and his goal is to not die. And so. <laughs> Uh, and to understand what's happening to him. And he tries to understand in the first part of the second act and all the time. And then the second part, he kind of just like finally meets her and then realizes he needs to die and doesn't try to not die anymore. And that is so sad. And mm -hmm. I think way more depressing than Eternal Sunshine <laughs> in a big way. Like at the beginning, right. we talked about like how you know, the movies in this room, the elephants in the room are Eternal Sunshine, or like uh, Charlie Kaufman movies, and, but they were so depressing. But I find this movie, he just kind of gives up. I guess, like, <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and that's, that feels so horrible and so wrong and, and so not true to the character and what he's found. I mean, he's found someone he loves and he's yeah. finally living his life. And he goes, I'll give it up so that you can have a bestseller. Like, I just, but isn't living your life being, able, being willing to give it up? Mm. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Well, what about like you know the heroes out there, the healthcare workers, and all those? Are you saying that a character in a book isn't as much of a hero as a person? 
<laughs> I'm okay, saying you're taking calculated risks in order to save more I'm lives than just that one. If people have to die for our entertainment, that's uh, just something that we have to uh, accept, you know? <laughs> this is like Gladiator. Reopen the streets, reopen the movie theaters. <laughs> reopen the Coliseum. I think it could have been a really more interesting movie if it didn't try to be a rom-com at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like for him to try to do something that she isn't writing or like maybe when she's not writing, he can live his own life. But then when she gets to the typewriter, you know, does he feel control? This is determinism versus free will. Like that's a huge, like a lot of a quagmire of debate. And there's a lot to come out of that. Like in, in terms of like storytelling and they just don't approach it at all. Like yeah, does he yeah. have control over his own life or is she, or is he willingly kill himself or is she, murdering him like well we also don't know whether she's actually controlling things i mean everything that she types happens but is it that she just has some sort of telepathic link to the world or something yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean it 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 leaves a lot like it leaves a lot to be desired in terms of the metaphysics of it but i think that you know it's a as a love story and as a romance it does work and as a story about like an everyman character like, I think it has something to say about, you know, going out there and living your life and all of that stuff, which maybe not the, you know, most uh, unique message, but uh, is one that we all need to hear sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. It is it is kind of, it's light, it's airy, it's positive, and sometimes we, we need a movie like that when life isn't positive so, or light or airy. So do you think uh, this is rewatchable for you? I think it's mildly rewatchable. I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again, but I I was I was entertained and watching it for the second time after 15 years of not watching it. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's mildly rewatchable. Uh, there there are some we've already talked about the problematic nature of it and the fact that it didn't go as deep as it could have. But yeah, maybe this is the first year essay uh, on <laughs> the subject, and you know something like. Um, it's a gateway. Gateway. Synecdoche, Synecdoche, New York, is more the oh, fourth yeah. year term. You don't. Paper. You don't want to start with Synecdoche, New York. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, and I think there is uh, a lot of value to be gained from being the gateway drug. You know, we all we all love marijuana. So we all love um, marijuana. <laughs> you're like I second that. Especially now, <laughs> um, essential service. And yeah. so yeah, so I I would say. I would say mildly rewatchable. What about you, Rob? I also think it's... uh, mm, I'm going to say it's rewatchable. I think it's more rewatchable than I thought it would be. Mm. I think it's delightful. There are problems that I have with it as, like, you know, Mr. Movie Critic, but I really just want to put some of those aside and enjoy the film for what it is. And it has a lot of elements that are really enjoyable and it's funny there are parts that really make me laugh i really enjoy will ferrell's performance i really enjoy maggie gyllenhaal's performance uh dustin hoffman is also fun so i mean i think it's uh yeah i think it's a rewatchable one yeah yeah and that's rewatchability for this week so you can find us on apple Podcasts, where you can rate us and leave a review you can engage with us on twitter or facebook we'd love to hear from you and if you uh have a movie you want us to uh watch you can engage with us there about that too and uh, you can also go to patreon and uh, make a uh, donation there one three five dollars any amount that you want and that helps us keep the podcast going and anything else before we go blaine 
he asked Blaine inquisitively. <laughs> I wasn't that inquisitive. <laughs> he said defiantly. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible or anime yeah. and under this sure. mask is another mask <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on the anime effect listen every friday wherever you get your podcast and watch full video episodes on crunchyroll or on the crunchyroll youtube channel <laughs> 